Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from thousands of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very accomplished and senior professional from Singapore, Mr. Andy Greenaway. Andy, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, Andy is the, the chief creative officer and founder of Rumble, and he is a multiple award-winning creative director. So Andy, before we talk advertising and Rumble, tell me a little bit about your own journey in the world of advertising. Wow, it's been a long one. So I've been doing it now for about uh, 36 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I started originally in direct marketing. So my first 13 years were doing direct response, direct mailers, database mm-hmm. driven marketing, which now is kind of trendy, but back then wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I started in London. So mm-hmm. uh, I spent my first six years in my career with OM Direct uh, in Soho Square. Uh, and I stayed with Ogilvy for about um, 19 years, I think it was. Okay. Um, eventually becoming uh, an advertising guy. Uh, I, that was kind of like a bit kind of lucky. Mm-hmm. I met a guy called Neil French who came around all the offices in, in the region. He was a regional creative director for rugby at the time. He's, he's a famous guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the godfather of advertising, or well, that was his kind of title at the time. Mm. Uh, that's how people viewed him. And he came around when he first joined Ogilvy, and he, he came to us, and he said um, uh, he saw some ads we did for ESPN. They'd just arrived in Hong Kong. No one had heard of them before. And he said, these are the best ads I've seen in the whole region. And you guys mm-hmm. aren't the ad agency, you're just the drip marketing agency. Mm-hmm. In a kind of derogatory kind of way. Mm-hmm. And so he, inv- he invited me to his uh, regional creative director meetings. Uh, and then a opportunity came up in Singapore. I'd actually left Ogilvy. I was I, I'd just resigned. I was going to start mm-hmm. my own business up. And uh, they were saying, well, who's going to come to Singapore and take over the, the vacant position of ECD? Mm-hmm. And uh, Neil said, look, why don't we try young, young Andy, young mm-hmm. Greenaway? Mm-hmm. So I was quite young back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I, I moved to Singapore. Um, I became a ad guy. I think within a year, Ogilvy Singapore had become the most uh, awarded uh, creative agency in Asia Pacific. Wow. Mm-hmm. So it didn't take much to, to turn it around. Um, I think being in direct marketing for that long, we were always working quicker. We had no time. Mm-hmm. And you know what it's like when you have timelines which are really tight. You have to force yourself to do thinking fast. Correct. And, and doing that for 13 years made me actually, it set me up really well for advertising. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt that I, was, I had a lot of donkeys around me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I could kind of, kind of outrun them. I was more of a greyhound. Wonderful. Uh, so, yeah. So, so uh, you know, I didn't make, I, I was... I was quite prominent in direct marketing, but not very famous because it's mm-hmm. not a very famous type of category. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I got into Ogilvy in Singapore uh, and started winning all the awards, then my fi- my fame kind of rose. So mm-hmm. that was quite interesting. Fantastic, fantastic. So I wasn't seeking it; it just happened. So yeah, no, I, I agree. For most of us, as they say, life happens, you know. So, yeah. so, uh, and then what was the motivation for you to start Rumble? So. Um, when I was at Ogilvy, after four years of being ECD, they made me the chairman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did that. So that, that, that was quite a big job because it was 
by then we had about 250 people across six different divisions. Um, but I found myself just wearing big, big kid gloves mm. and trying to get people to work together and smashing heads together and telling people to behave. And so after two years of that, I got bored. I mm. thought, you know, so I need to get back into the, the creator side of it, which is what I love. All right. this kind of babysitting mm. wasn't really my thing. So uh, I left Overby um, and I joined Saatchi. So I became the regional creative director of Saatchi. I was there for about nine years. Mm. They found it really hard to adapt to the digital realm. Um, and I wanted to get back into, if you like, data-driven type solutions. Mm. And I saw that, you know, channels and channels like YouTube were going to explode. Mm. Platforms like Facebook were going to explode. And this is back in like 2010 when mm. most clients still were kind of averse to mm. these platforms. Correct. They weren't investing an awful lot of money in them, right? It's like, oh, it's just a fan. And I even heard conversations between very seasoned ad guy saying, oh, this is just a fad. It's going to disappear in a couple of years' time. And I'm going, oh, my God, people don't realize what's going to happen here. Mm. So I, I wanted to get back into the digital world. And I, I joined Sapient Nitro, which is now called Publicist Sapiens. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd never heard of it. I thought it was just a boutique little agency, but they were digital. Mm. So I, I went in there, and then I realized they were massive. They had uh, 12,000 employees in India wow. doing mm -hmm. all the tech, mm. uh, mostly out of Noida. Mm. Um, and their deals weren't like advertising deals. They weren't, you know, a couple hundred thousand here and there. They were doing $30 million deals. They, wow. built, they were building big enterprise-sized solutions, mm. websites, e-commerce sites, um, also just ripping out IT or, or building on top of IT mm. and modernizing businesses so they can actually have one view of the customer and stuff like that. Mm. So I did that for four years. Uh, one of my creative friends joined me. Uh, he was my creative partner. And mm. uh, he had a really interesting insight. He said, you know, Andy, because um, it, it was like oil and water. Mm -hmm. Creative people like me, and then you had project managers, but mm. like tech project managers, very heavy tech project managers. Right. And it was like oil and water. They mm. didn't get us. We didn't get them. Mm. My friend said to me, he says, you know something? These guys are plumbers. Mm. And we're interior decorators. Mm. Plumbers and interior decorators wow. don't get us. <laughs> Fascinating. So, so that that was interesting. Um, I, then I, I had enough of that after a while. It was interesting. I learned an awful lot. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in just continually learning. Mm. And going to Sapien was a big learning curve. Amazing people, amazing company. What they did was incredible. Mm. Uh, but I wanted to get back to again creativity, and so I joined Dentsu, and I was with Dentsu for about four years. Mm. Um, and then I was going to, I had enough, you know, I've been working for over 30 years. I was going to retire. Mm -hmm. I was writing my novel about my father, who was a bomb disposal expert. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I kind of got stuck into that. And then we came back to Singapore um, and then the lockdown happened. Mm. And then some guys from Australia reached out to me and said, hey, look, we're looking to set up an agency in Singapore. Mm. Do you want to help us? And mm. so I had nothing on. Uh, I finished my novel. I mm. launched it. <laughs> I was getting sales. I was getting reviews on Amazon mm. and stuff. Um, and I said, "Yeah, let's let's have it. Let's have a go." So that's, I just fell into it. Really, it wasn't planned, accidental. And it's been two and a half years now, uh, and we're doing okay. We're still surviving. We're growing. We doubled in size last year. Um, it's hard, you know, starting afresh, starting with no clients. Absolutely. Um, you know, you have to have a certain type of courage to start mm -hmm. a business, um, especially in the services industry.
Mm. But we've, we've been doing it for two and a half years now, uh, doing some really nice work. Um, and yeah, so we just march forward, really. Fantastic. And, you know, as an advertising industry veteran, I have to ask you this question, uh, that from a mad men, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the television series, yes. but uh, from a mad men perception of advertising, how has advertising evolved and changed over the last three and a half, four decades? Oh, my goodness. It's I remember when I was, uh, and I must add, when I was in, you know, in, in my advertising, marketing, uh, building brands in cigarettes and so on, it was always a big thing to be invited to all these incredible parties that were thrown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, it's kind of gone through a roller coaster ride. Mm. And I remember when I first joined, when I was a young 19-year-old guy, um, there were parties all over the place. Mm. Uh, I mean, my office, my company, mm. uh, they were having, the last Friday of every month, we'd all go off about 12 o'clock and they'd put on a big buffet in a pub mm. and then all just drink from 12 o'clock onwards and that's it. <laughs> yes. every, every single month. And then it got bigger, so they couldn't afford to do it every month. So then it came every two months. Then it became every three months. Mm. Um, and when it became every three months, they said, well, we can, we've got to do it less often now because there's too many people. Mm. Well, let's, let's make it spectacular. So we had um, parties in Madame Tussauds, mm. for instance. Wow. The fancy dress party in Madame Tussauds. <laughs> Amazing. And literally we had the place ourselves. We, we could walk around all the dummies and stuff. Mm. Mm. We had another one in the, the London dungeon. Mm. Just before I left London, uh, there was a Christmas party in the Natural History Museum. You know, the Brontosaurus? Yeah, yeah. So all the tables were kind of fitted <laughs> around the Brontosaurus. So, so it was glamorous, it was it was hard drinking, yeah. it was hard work. Yeah. Um, and then I came over to Asia, that didn't stop, kept on going. Mm. Uh, there was far too much drinking in our business, mm. uh, just the way it was, I suppose. Uh, I joined Saatchi, you know, they're, they're not the madmen, they're the crazy men. <laughs> Okay. It's much worse than Mad Men. Okay, there's just some crazy stuff going on. Yes. I think now, now it's really tempered down a lot. You know, mm. uh, you don't get that same kind of uh, thing going on. Mm. Uh, also, the the younger kids are not so much into drinking. And, you know, we, we've seen in places like Europe, right, where alcohol-free beverages are going through the roof. I know, yes. and don't want to drink alcohol anymore. Uh, yeah, they like the socializing, but they don't want to get drunk. I know. I, I was amazed to find alcohol-free gin and alcohol-free whiskey. So I said, oh, God. But <laughs> moving on, uh, you know, uh, for someone with your kind of amazing knowledge and background in brands and uh, advertising, my question to you, uh, Andy, is what goes into building a successful brand? Um, you know something? I'm still a big believer of the four Ps mm -hmm. from uh, P&G. Mm -hmm. And the number one P is product. Mm -hmm. So you have to have an amazing product or service. That's, yeah. that's table stakes. Absolutely. If you've got garbage, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how good your advertising is, uh, it just won't, it won't mm -hmm. succeed. Mm -hmm. So it all starts with what, what you're trying to sell. Mm -hmm. Then behind that is why are you trying to sell it? Why, why did you come up with this product or this service? Mm -hmm. um, and obviously there's got to be a, a benefit to the customer. Yeah. And then there, you know, we, we have... Um, we have a philosophy here called distinct resonance. Mm. So if you want to build a brand, first and foremost, it has to be distinct. It's got to stand out. Mm. It's got to be, uh, you know, so, so take Apple. 
you know, when Apple kind of came out, they had a great product and it was different, right? It's kind of Windows and, mm. you know, it wasn't like an IBM. Um, and back then, all the computer brands, there were IBM, uh, there was like, you know, CO24. There's all these kind of futuristic terms and it all looked futuristic. They tried to make it look like Space Odyssey 2001. Mm. And then Mac comes out and they say, no, we're Apple. Mm. So they were the first kind of brand to use a fruit as a mm. brand name. Yeah. But think about it, right? It was distinct. And it was, it was also rainbow colored. Yeah, right. It was an Apple which was rainbow colored. And everyone mm. else is blue and gray yeah. and black. So, uh, you know, I think, Mark, I think Apple is one of the best examples of how to build a brand. Mm. They understood that you had to have a unique product. Mm. Then your branding had to be distinct. Um, and and the, the story goes that the reason they chose Apple was because uh, Steve Jobs says, well, everyone knows what an Apple is and everyone likes an Apple. Mm. And it was just it was that. There was no overthinking mm -hmm. what the brand name should be. It was just, yeah. It's, you know, and it's the same with many brands, you know, no. like Starbucks. Starbucks is a great brand because when you have a brand which has a name, especially which has nothing to do with category, mm. what's massive going to stand out? How many kind of, you know, coffee leaf and coffee bean and this and that and the other that you have out there? It all melds into one. You can't differentiate the yeah. Starbucks. Yeah. And again, some of these big brand ideas, these big brand thoughts, they come from random places. Mm. So Starbucks, because they were in Portland, Portland's a seafaring uh, city. Mm. And uh, one of the guys, one of the consultants in there, when they were starting his coffee shop, uh, he was a big fan of Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. And Starbucks is the first mate in Moby Dick. Correct. So it all came from, oh, I love this book. Oh. I love this name, Starbucks. What a great name. Why do we call our coffee shop Starbucks? <laughs> and why do we have a mermaid? Because we're yeah. a seafaring. No, it's a random. Absolutely. So exactly. that randomness is, is made, made an iconic mm. global brand. Mm. Um, so uh, distinctiveness is really important. Uh, and then the second thing that's important is how do you make sure that your brand resonates with your audience? Mm. So that's when you start getting into things like, what's your organizing idea? What do you stand mm. for? What's your purpose? Um, and again, taking another iconic brand like Nike, mm. you know, just do it. Mm. You know, in those days when they came up with that line, all the shoe brand manufacturers, they're all doing technical stuff. Mm. We've got more cushioning, we've got better stitching. It's all technical. And then this brand comes out and says, just do it. Mm. And instead of just showing a shoe, they're showing people after running 20 miles, resting against the wall. Mm. And it, it, it just created distinctiveness. But yeah. the message, just do it as well, was empowering and is inspiring. Sure. Uh, it wasn't, we make a better shoe. It was, mm. just do it. They never talked about the shoe. That was yeah. the thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, brands are very, very complex. I agree. I agree. But the, starting, the starting point is mm. you need to be distinct. You need the right product, absolutely. Drive. Product price. And then you've got to make a connection emotionally with your, with your customers. Yeah. It's as simple as that, really, but it's not simple, right? <laughs> well said. Well said. Great response. Thank you. Let me then now move to uh, the area that you have spent a lot of time in, which is in digital marketing. Yeah. And I'd love to get your perspective, Andy, on how is this entire new uh, ecosystem of everything social media, digital, and so on, and I'll come to the metaverse a little in a little while. How is this changing the work that is being done by uh, agencies to be able to communicate the message faster or better? Um, I think some things haven't changed at all, mm -hmm. and some things have changed a lot. I mm -hmm. think 
the principles behind how you build a brand hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's taken it's taken millennia, it's taken millions of years for our brains to work the way they do. Mm-hmm. You can't change that over a matter of 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, even over the next millennia, the way we um, emotionally connect with the brand is going to mm-hmm. stay the same. Um, what has changed is how you um, find the brand, how you're introduced to the brand, how you can buy the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, so where it's very simple in the past, where you could just broadcast your message through a, a broadcast medium like TV or radio, mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately you could actually more or less brainwash people. That's why slogans and um, you know jingles were very important. They became earworms mm-hmm. in your head. And you remember them. And then so when you go to the shop, you almost robotically just pick up that product because you yeah. heard it so much mm. or saw it so much on TV. That's changed because we can, you know, there's still an element of broadcasting and brainwashing. Mm. But it's not as simple as that because, right. um, uh, you know, you can choose what you see and what you don't see. Mm. Um, so I, I think the psychology of how brands are built won't change for a long, long, long time. Mm. How you buy, how you interact with the brand, that is fundamentally changing all the time now. Mm-hmm. Um, the big issue we have, though, of course, is that saliency is a big part of building a brand. Mm-hmm. And in somewhere like Singapore, where I live, there are no kind of above-the-line media, apart from maybe outdoor mm-hmm. cinema, which doesn't reach an awful lot of people. Mm-hmm. But broadcast, there's no broadcast. Mm-hmm. So in many ways, Singapore is ahead of the time in terms of how it's going to be in the future. Because I know in markets like U.S., Australia even, yeah. you can still reach 50% of the audience via TV. Mm. You can't do that in Singapore. Correct. So, so if you're, especially if you're launching a new brand, how do you get your name out there if there's no broadcast? Mm. It's really hard to do it through digital channels. Mm. Um, and and I, what I always say is that, especially with display, I, there's a lot of media people say, oh, I know you can build a brand through display networks. And I'm going, no, you can't. Mm. It's like trying to build a brand with a stamp. Mm. Some of these display network spaces are the size of a stamp on your mobile right. and you just ignore them, right? So so that's where the complexity and the challenges of building a brand are coming in mm. is that the digital channels aren't designed mm. to, around building brands. They're designed to sell. You know, they can they can find an audience more precisely. They can retarget. Mm. You, can, you know, you can drive someone down the funnel and get them engaged in your e-commerce platform. And once they've bought, you can kind of, Kind of, kind of repeat the purchases by retargeting them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of building a brand, very, very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Which is where you know you look at someone like an Elon Musk, and people say, "Oh, well, you know, he doesn't do brand advertising at all." No, he is the brand, mm-hmm. and he gets seen and heard of uh, and seen by his own PR. Right. He's in the news all the time, mm-hmm. and because he's such a, such a big association with the brand Tesla. That, that in the past has actually been very powerful for him. Right. Um, well, but the problem is that kind of approach uh, has its dangers because now he's gone a bit right wing and, you know, he's kind of turning off his Democrat customers. <laughs> um, uh, so, so, you know, if you're going to be standing for the brand, you've got to make sure that, you know, you don't do something to upset a large yeah. part of your audience, which is what right. he's doing. Well said, well said. And, you know, uh, my next question to you, Andy, is that, Communication, I remember four decades ago was big billboards, full page newspaper ads, television, advertising. And that has evolved and now come to this little handheld device where you have to communicate in 10 seconds. How 
is the work of agencies changing when you have such a short time to make a communication? Well, no, it's okay. This is where I think there's a fallacy. Mm -hmm. Who's telling you that you have to do 10 second ads? Okay. Mm. TikTok, naturally, uh, more kind of shorter form videos. Mm. The problem is, and, and I, I see this myself. So we, we've been doing communication where we get uh, 60 second ads out there mm. and they're watched all the way through mm -hmm. at a very high rate, like 50% and more. Okay. The problem is you've got people like Facebook saying people aren't watching more than six mm. seconds. You should do six second ads. Mm. What they're talking about is the medium, mm. a median, sorry, the average. The average ad is watched for about less than half a second mm -hmm. because it's not very good. Mm. The majority of communication now in our world is just rubbish. Mm -hmm. If it's rubbish, people aren't going to watch it. Mm. If it's good, people will watch it for 20 minutes. Yeah. And I've actually been dragged in on Facebook, for instance. There was one guy who was a Marine talking about a fitness schedule. Mm -hmm. And he had a 20-minute video. And I watched it all the way through because it was so compelling. Yeah. Um, so, so this 10-second, this six-second kind of rule mm. has become a rule, but it's actually yeah. not, a really, it's not a real rule. A There's a very response. small amount of people, let's mm. say 1% of the advertising world, that know how to write an ad or a piece mm. of content that's mm. going to engage you for more than five minutes. Mm. Fascinating. Also, the, major the majority of agencies can't do that anymore because mm. we're not teaching our kids that have come into the business how to write compelling content. Fascinating. So I have time for two more questions, Andy. And my next question to you is that there is now a new breed of influencers and micro-influencers from a time when it was predominantly film stars and sports stars. Now there's influencers. Yeah. I'd love to get your perspective on how are influencers helping or harming brands? Um, yeah, it's... It... <sighs> It all depends again on how you use them. If you mm -hmm. use them badly, mm -hmm. uh, then they have very low impact for your brand. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure there's really that much evidence for micro influencers having any impact whatsoever, unless mm -hmm. you're a very niche brand, perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, influencers originally were celeb celebrities, mm -hmm. and we still know that when you use a celebrity in an ad, uh, you you get a huge uplift in sales. Correct. And in fact, actually, I, I had a friend a while ago who was actually heading up an agency who said, oh, yeah, no, but you know, celebrities don't work in advertising. Mm -hmm. I said, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> of course they do. Mm -hmm. and then, you know, there's, one, there's one recently for uh, Warburton's in uh, the UK. They used, uh, 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 what's his name? Robert De Niro, mm -hmm. a kind of a gangster type role. Yeah. And their sales went up by 30%. Mm. Uh, just look at Ryan Reynolds. I mean, he's doing, he's got his own brands mm. and using himself to push his, his sales up, right? Um, and it works fabulously. Mm. So I think the same thing happens with influencers, um, but you have to get them involved in more than just a superficial way. Mm. They're there and they go, oh, and by the way, I've got this, mm. buy it or not, you know, mm. and then get onto their own kind of character. This is the problem with the influencers, right? They've got their own character and persona. And mm. quite often that doesn't actually match your brand. And they'll be they're unwilling to change. Okay. To match. Yeah. So that's the issue with influencers. But I think if you use them properly, they're willing to go that extra mile for mm. you. Mm. I think they can be very effective. Mm. 
Wonderful. And my last question to you, and I, you know, uh, technology has made an impact in virtually every business, every industry. How has technology changed uh, advertising and communication? Um, yeah, and it's continuing to change, right? Uh, I think there's still the fundamental baseline, which is uh, brand stories. Mm-hmm. And I know there's a lot of debate over, uh, you know, do brands really have stories? Yes, they do. Brand is a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, that label is a story, whether it's provenance or whether it actually stands for something, mm-hmm. all the connections that are in our head. Mm-hmm. So, you know, video is still king. So whether that appears on TikTok, on YouTube or mm-hmm. Facebook or other areas, mm-hmm. Uh, video is the video is the baseline of telling a brand story. Mm-hmm. But to your point, you were mentioning metaverse. Um, that's going to change everything, right? Because you're going to be in a virtual world where you, you're not just looking at a video; you're actually interacting with mm-hmm. brand experiences in in kind of a virtual environment. Yep, in three dimension. Yeah, it's going to take a long time. By the way, it's mm-hmm. not going to happen as quickly as a lot of people think it is. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be probably when I'm in the grave. Uh, and you know this is the other thing about the world as well right sometimes things happen much quicker than you expect them to Mm -hmm. quite often they happen a lot slower than people predict as well Mm -hmm. so who knows no one can predict the future um Mm -hmm. uh but then there's also kind of you know the whole data part of the business it's gone full circle for me because i started off in direct marketing Mm -hmm. and i said to a friend the other day who's in a similar business i said you know way back then we were doing some amazing direct marketing data-driven communication, mm. technology was dumb, but our strategies were sophisticated. Correct. Now, what, now what's happened is that the, the technology is really smart. Yeah. The strategies are really dumb. <laughs> yes. And, and so it's, it's been really interesting for me to see that full circle where data-driven communication was an amazing thing for me. I, I loved it. I, mm. I love seeing people buying because of the words I wrote, mm. uh, using data in a smart way and seeing how that infected response rates and stuff. Now I'm trying, I'm trying to convince clients to actually use data properly. Mm. Most clients can't use data properly. They have dreams of it, but they yeah. just don't know how to use it. Mm. And, and one of the things that, they, that, that happens, you know, people buy a, um, a database CRM software. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the, tech, it's the tech or the IT guy in a company will buy that. Mm. And then it'll go to the marketing department and say, hey, by the way, I've bought this, use that. Mm. And the marketers only use 5% of it mm. because they just you know, haven't got time to get trained. Correct. Uh, they're not that interested quite often. It's been forced upon them. So everyone talks about data, big data and all this amazing stuff, but actually mm. no one's using it very well at all. Mm. So, so one of the things that we're trying to work out as a company is this is a big opportunity, but can we actually make an impact? Because mm. there are rigid minds out there who are going, well, I'm not really sure I want to do that. It's just too hard. Mm. But, you know, if they get over the difficulty yeah. and embrace it in the right way, it will unleash huge potential growth for their company. So that's something I'm very interested in. Fascinating. Um, yeah, I was just going to say then, look, look uh, the MarTech side of our business is going to continue. We'll keep on going. You know, the whole chat GPT, mm. that's going to be revolutionary. Mm. Uh, I don't think it's going to replace copywriters at the moment. Yeah. The, 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 the writing that it does is very competent. Uh, and it's accurate, and it's grammatically correct, mm-hmm. but it it's just lacks character, it lacks right. wit. Yes. And I've, just actually try, I've just tried to experiment um, uh, the other day with ChatGPT. Yep, I've been doing yeah. the same. <laughs> we could do allegories and puns and stuff. In fact, I just launched a oh. uh, LinkedIn post on it today. 
and it's terrible. So if you ask it to come up with a, a paradoxical sentence around what a goalkeeper does, mm-hmm. it's dry and it's boring and they use paradox <laughs> in the sentence, but it actually isn't paradox. Yes. So, so but, it, but it will revolutionize our world. Okay. And already you've got teachers, this is outside of advertising, of course, but you've got teachers who are seeing their, their students mm. who are using chat GPT to do their homework. Correct. I think the good thing for now is you can spot it because mm. it's too dry and it's too serious and it's lax. Yes, but it'll it. learn. It will learn very fast. So look, I, I think Jack, GPT, 10, 15 years down the road, it could very well um, start becoming a copywriter. Correct. Correct. Maybe with a bit of supervision still, but it'll get there. Yeah. We all know it'll get there. Absolutely. And on that note, Andy, uh, thank you so much for speaking to me about your own journey, about advertising. What a fascinating journey you seem to have had. Thank you for speaking to me about brands. I mean, I think this is something which all my viewers and listeners love to uh, speak about and hear about on brands because uh, somehow or the other, everyone seems to know how to build a brand. And that seems to have been a you know, the thought that every human being seems to know that and everyone seems to know how to comment on, on an advertisement as well. Yeah. Thank you also for talking to me about uh, communication and how different kinds of people are beginning to get involved in being able to make that communication so much more interesting. We didn't have time to speak more in detail about chat GPT and metaverse, but maybe I'll schedule another conversation with you sometime on how technology and what you see uh, advertising evolving into uh, using technology. Thank you again for speaking to me and good luck to you. Ashutosh, thank you for having me on. Um, Good talking to you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.